This week on Trek Mary Kill. T portals beheadings. Next. Captain, she's still on us. We must engage and protect the ship. That's a warship with Jean-Luc Picard-sized enemies behind it. Why do they want Jack? If you're the son of Jean-Luc Picard, there's a target on your back. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast that's about to talk about the sex life of 96-year-old Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> because today we're grading Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 3, 17 Seconds, which might be how long Picard lasts? No, we'll find uh, out yeah, what that title yeah. <laughs> I have some questions. <laughs> Written by Jane Mags and Cindy Appel. Directed by number one, Jonathan Frakes, premiered on Paramount Plus March 2nd, 2023. Kristen, before we get into the sex stuff, let's real quick (laughs) for people who aren't ready for that ride. 17 seconds, third episode. This episode is Picard grapples with an explosive life altering revelation. He has a son. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, the Titan and her crew try to outmaneuver a relentless Captain Vatic in the Shrike uh, in a lethal game of cat and mouse inside of a nebula. Never seen that before in Star Trek. Uh, but the neb- nebula is not quite what it seems. Meanwhile, Raffi is awakened by her savior, her rescuer from the last episode, Worf. My God, we, yeah. get, we get so much Worf. It's great. It's fantastic. And it turns out he is helping her because he suspects he was told by a source that the changelings might be behind the goings on the terrorist attack. That's right. The changelings from star Trek, deep space nine gasp. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the sex stuff. So, <laughs> okay. So Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher, maybe it wasn't the first time, but they, they, they did it. We, we had canonically, they had sex. Yeah, but just two episodes ago he said they didn't well operative word meaning like they they tried and they failed they tried and they they failed but do you so this is great so <laughs> the the there's a scene between them after picard finds out at the end of the last episode that jack is his son it's jack crusher uh named after uh beverly's first husband and picard's old friend it's which also a little by weird. the way <laughs> wild <laughs> And so we get the scene of, of how it all happened. And I kind of want to save talking about that in more detail later on, but mm-hmm. from that, from the context clues, and like you said, and what happened, what he says to Laris in episode one, do you think it went down like this? Jean-Luc, we've tried this so many times. Will we, won't we, we're here now. We might as well. <laughs> do you think um, she talked him into it? Or he was like, for science, we should at least try it once. I, I can't even imagine it because the way they talk about it, it, I still wrote down in a later category the word so. Did they fuck or what? Um, <laughs> just the way that they speak about that night. And she, she says that that night I got mm. pregnant. And I'm like, okay, and with who? By whom? Like, <laughs> almost like it was an accident. Oops. Your semen fell into my womb. <laughs> Some context clues, I guess. Uh, Jean-Luc is 96 years old in the Star Trek Picard timeline as this episode's taking place. It happened about 20 years prior. Uh, you know, figure in some uh, gestation period there. It was his 75th birthday, and they were on short leave. <laughs> they were on short leave. Beverly was probably like, it's your birthday, and, and adults I shouldn't just... have sex on their birthdays. <laughs> yeah, right. I just want to say, usually on shore leave, you have sex with someone who isn't already on the ship. <laughs> so both of them already For doing it wrong. Away, like married time, married time law. <laughs> or like, customs. You... Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it's law. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's on like the California state bar exam. 
if you're on shore leave, do you have to have sex? Can you have sex with someone already on the ship? Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like you have so much time to have sex on the ship, but you're on shore leave. And then finally you guys have sex. I feel like we did a really good job preparing ourselves for this episode, following Beverly's journey through the years oh, yeah. on the enterprise and all that. So, and it was great seeing Gates McFadden being more than just uh, on a screen in distress or in a cryo tube uh, unconscious. <laughs> She's actually moving around and speaking and, and is yeah. active in the episode. And um, I really feel like this episode was pretty tremendous. The, the visuals, the, uh, the direction, Jonathan Frakes, and he directs this one and the next one. And he just comes in and he has a lot to do as an actor. There's a lot of Riker in this episode, just like there was in uh, the first episode. And Patrick Stewart, you know, listen, as a sexual being, who knows where Patrick Stewart is on that scale. <laughs> but Jean-Luc Picard does not necessarily strike me as like, yeah, he can still get it. I mean, I'm saying this is kind of mean stuff. I got to be honest here. You know, but Patrick Stewart is not the Patrick Stewart he was during the next generation performance wise. It's just different. He's a he's not the same character. And obviously he wouldn't be playing him that way anyway, with it being so much farther in that character's future. Uh But you know what I mean? Like the difference between Patrick Stewart and the other returning cast members, it just feels like, well, we didn't have them in two seasons of Picard, sort of Riker accepted. But they feel a lot more closer to our memories of them. And I think we've had just more time seeing Patrick Stewart and other things uh, where it's pushed you away from the Picard connection. Mm-hmm. That said, I think he was really terrific in this episode, too. It was really kind of, for everybody, really, really stepped up. It was really interesting. We we get our first uh, appearance of Deanna Troy this season. Mm-hmm. In, in, uh, in a controversial scene, I will say. Yeah, it's it's disappointing to me because she's popping up. This isn't a flashback. She's she's just had her son, uh, hers and Riker's son, and she's playing the nag. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. Didn't didn't appreciate that. Yeah. So she's just given birth or like how I don't remember how long ago it was. But whatever, she has a newborn and um, Riker leaves to go to a bar and she is rightfully unhappy because that sucks (laughs) as someone who used to have a newborn i can tell you that's not fun the uh the title comes from this flashback sequence and it in because in it it's Riker and and picard sharing a drink toasting his newborn son haha my first child it's a boy and Mm -hmm. uh, his name's thaddeus if you didn't remember if you didn't watch star trek picard season one and Riker tells the story of when Thaddeus was born. There was a complication. He got called while he was on the bridge of the Titan because this all happened aboard the, his command. He and Deanna Troy were serving on that ship together. And uh, he's taking the turbo lift ride to sickbay. And he said it's 17 seconds. And in those 17 seconds, that's when he became a father. And he says he hopes that Jean-Luc has that feeling of being a father at some point, not the terror part, but just, you know, the whole like, oh, I'm so happy now <laughs> yeah. that I'm a father. And it's a, it's a setup for what happens later in the episode when Picard will have to mm-hmm. take the same ride. You've recently uh, rewatched or watched uh, season one of Picard. Do you remember what Thaddeus Troy died of? Um, he died of some weird disease that could have been cured if they use like positronic matrixes or something to to cure it right i don't remember the name of it because it's not a real disease <laughs> in, in real life it's called mendaxic neurosclerosis and it was a very rare disease mm-hmm. caused by a silicon-based virus it was fatal if not treated which could theoretically be accomplished by culturing infected cells in an active positronic matrix okay this brings up a lot of issues. One, I remember very clearly when Marina Sirtis is delivering this line, this explanation. It was one of the most ridiculous sounding things I've ever heard in my life. But she sells it pretty seriously. Yeah. The idea was that it was fatal if not treated, which, but the only treatment is theoretical means that it's fatal. That's like saying there's an Ebola treatment that theoretically could work, but it, more likely it's going to kill you. <laughs> there's like yeah. certain things 
So it was just bizarre because uh, putting something. So that was why the synth ban had an emotional attachment in season one, because banning all synthetic mm-hmm. uh, technology means they couldn't uh, pursue a path to a cure there. So, but I, I just thought it was a weird moment for Troy to pop up as uh, the, basically the beleaguered mother, but also kind of like scolding him. Oh, you're having fun, having a drink. Your son's, you know, Riker even uh, says when she sees him calling, he goes, oh shit. You know what I mean? Like it's played very Hmm. classically, dramatically as like the, you know, going back to, you know, ancient times, right. Or just Shakespearean drama of like this character that just nags and berates the husband and this and that. Mm -hmm. That was just a bummer. I I really like the Troy character, the possibilities of it didn't feel like that honored her character very well. So I have one other general thought before we get into some straight thoughts. And this, this is funnier. This episode establishes for me that Sydney LaForge is the Megan McCain of the Star Trek universe. So (laughs) only because in the first three episodes, her entire identity is (laughs) her entire identity is tied to who her dad is and to, to the point that in the, this episode, she goes to seven of nine and says, my her opening line is my father is one of the greatest starfleet engineers that ever lived Mm -hmm. whoa okay (laughs) we got it did you ever see that well i'm sure you've seen it in pop culture just megan mccain always referencing john mccain but i I think esquire put together an article she was on the view and that's all she would (laughs) say yeah i've seen the view and yeah (laughs) that's what she did (laughs) She even wrote an illustrated Megan McCain uh, memes, though, was uh, was this idea that her hairstylist hated her because every day she'd show up on the view with like the weirdest (laughs) fucking hair. (laughs) And then like someone actually interviewed the hairstylist and was like, no, she just likes she just lets me do whatever I want. So we'd come up with all these like wacky ideas and I think it looks great. And I'm like. This. (laughs) This hairstylist is fucking with her for sure. Like I've never been more sure of anything. Sydney LaForge, though, must be said. I think she has terrific hair. She is what? She has terrific hair. Sydney LaForge. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 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 the same in the, in that regard, but more likable. Also, yes. she seems like she probably could have like like she knows how to steer the ship at least. <laughs> But just a little cloying with the references to to Jordy LaForge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any straight thoughts you want to throw out there now? No. Okay. Let's bring it back to the to the sex stuff a little bit here. Okay. Old people banging. That's basically what it comes mm-hmm. down to. But Carden Crusher being able to have a kid. Showrunner Terry Metalis, uh, he's been doing he did this past season collider interviews after the episode aired which i thought was pretty cool i liked uh, vulture used to do that a lot of times sometimes it'd be at the end of the season uh the interviewer is maybe a little too over the top with their like you're amazing so the questions yeah. maybe aren't as pointed as they could be but still fan. some interesting yes exactly the jimmy uh, Kim, the or co- sorry jimmy fallon uh interview yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly did you feel a certain degree of pressure to fill in those blanks while working out that timeline between the last time we saw them, Picard and, and Beverly, and the creation of Jack? Terry Dallas is sort of saying, like, we did, right? So it comes up all the time. Does Jack's age work? How old Ed Spilliers is? No. Ed Spilliers is an amazing actor. No. And we all should look as good as Ed Spilliers does. When we were in our 20s, we wish we looked as good as it as he does now. So when we wanted Ed Spilliers, the age doesn't work right. Does it make perfect sense exactly when she would have left the Enterprise 20-something years? Did she go and work for Starfleet Medical from a deleted scene in Star Trek Nemesis? It was a deleted scene, so we have to decide that that didn't exist, right? Also, I believe Picard is technically 96. You know, the ideas of conception and contraception get brought up in the room, but then again, we're in the 25th century. Is it even an issue? At some point... You have to let all this go and just let the story exist or not exist. I will say personally, it's pretty frustrating for me to get pounded by those questions or nitpicks on Twitter. But again, Star Trek attracts science and mathematical inspection. It's going to attract people who love these details, but I don't think Star Trek ever really works out well as historical record. So at some point you have to choose the story over the cataloging of a canon calendar. Can we pause for just a second and say, yes, 
I made this I made this choice on Star Trek and I was shocked that people on the internet had an opinion about Star Trek. Is that what he's trying to say? <laughs> no pause necessary. This stays in. This stays in. That was my no, no, no. thought I, while I, reading. I mean, no. It means no, no, I'm not saying pause the podcast. I mean like before we go on. Before we move on. Can you believe I get questions about this? I mean, what is the Star Trek fandom known for? It is a a wanting and expecting access to the people who create the show and b having opinions about it and questions like so much so that there's parody about it there's a whole fucking movie called galaxy quest about it okay oh i I get kind of tired of it i'm getting pounded out there for for casting a fucking 30 year old guy as a 19 year old or whatever it was come on that can't that can't be shocking to anybody who's ever ever like I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Like they're valid questions because it doesn't make any fucking sense. And again, you should have known. Yeah. You should like in the in the room, you should have been like, I'm gonna get torn apart on the internet for this, like because you absolutely would and should. Because this guy, an actor who uh God love him, he does not look 20 years old. He looks like a rough 20. Here's where it's really the problem because he uh, has a, I think he does have a somewhat youthful energy to him some of the time. No, he, he doesn't. Most, like I'm you, yes, youthful in like, hold on. How some old of the he? time. I'm looking it up right now. 32, I think, or 33. He is 35. What? Is okay. Well, that's that's even better. Okay, so Ed Spilliers is thirty-five. There, he's playing oh, a twenty. Oh, you know where it? you would you would recognize him from Downton Abbey. Well, he was on, I like, don't. I think I'd stop watching the show by that point. Yeah, I forget who he plays. To be honest, <laughs> this happened in the movie Ad Astra, which I'm pretty sure I was like the only person who saw that movie with Brad Pitt. Uh, which was a pretty good movie if you saw it on IMAX. I, I watched. So I, I have seen it actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not terrible. It's not bad. I didn't think. But in that movie, he's got a he's got daddy issues and he has to go to the edge of the solar system to yeah. talk to his dad. And he Brad Pitt is playing a clearly younger guy. Like the intention is this guy is maybe 30, but Brad Pitt is not 30 years old. No, <laughs> they can age him down as much as they want. So what I'm getting at is like you can create a uh a, a veneer of youth at times in certain light lighting in certain attitudes but at some point it does come down to like an old like an older person looking immature and kind of silly and i think he runs up on the rocks of that very often playing this character that would be explained a lot more if, if he was actually played by a younger person like a lot of the way he behaves would sort of make more mm-hmm. sense instead he's like a he's a, almost a middle-aged man having to act like how he was when he was 20 years old with his mates yeah because he comes off as like half cocked sometimes and yes impetuous and that kind of stuff and he's 35 right <laughs> he's hip he's cool he's 35 it, i mean yeah, so exactly. is that just like they they cast him and they're like well we'll make it work i absolutely they're like everyone else in the cast is so incredibly old by comparison he'll be <laughs> and i want to be very clear like he's a very good looking guy like i like he looks great for 35 but he doesn't look 20 like it's too hard to go that young, I think I'm I'm able to go with that. I'm just saying, like that. Uh, obviously, there are times where it doesn't it works against them. I think clearly, but it, for the most part, I'm okay with it. Couldn't they've just been like, well, um, we've been out in space so long, you know that ages you, or something. <laughs> like, like oh, he was exposed to some radiation, and so it kind of sped up the. It's not the years, it's the miles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could. I would actually, that would have been a fun thing to do too. I mean, they go out of their way to explain why does this child who's had no relationship with Picard have a British accent? You know what I mean? And they have to con- yeah. like contrive of a explanation. Like, oh, maybe it's in the DNA. I'm like, wait, he's supposed to be <laughs> French. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a very strange uh, genetic trait, us Frenchmen speaking like we're from England. 
Like we went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. It's really strange. Yeah. Going back though to the the having sex and having a kid thing, you know, Picard being 96 in season three, but 75 thereabouts when he and Beverly hooked up, you know, 75, I think is maybe a little bit older than middle age for Star Trek lifetimes. I think you're in the one twenties pretty easily now in, in the Star Trek universe. I think Dr. McCoy in the encounter at Farpoint pilot, he got, he had to have been close to like 130 years old. So, you know, it's, it's there that it could happen. So the idea then that there's lots of ways for someone to get pregnant, even if you factor in that Beverly is younger than Picard, a woman in her sixties, let's say getting pregnant. I mean, that doesn't weird shit like that happen now. Yeah. I mean, like it just, yeah. Well, she so like in real like in real life. So Gates McFadden's like in her six seventies now. So like twenty years ago, she would have been in her fifties. Yeah, it, it it all makes sense. I, by the way, I'm calling it now. I I'm definitely the type of person who'd get like an accidental pregnancy at fifty. <laughs> Mark like, it that down. That just seems like I'm I'm absolutely <laughs> like I I've known this for a long time. Seems like something weird like that that would happen to me. Be like oh. <laughs> <laughs> so set your calendars for the 10th season of this show when uh <laughs> Kristen might have a surprise announcement <laughs> yeah the yeah <laughs> yeah very, what, what very healthy th- pregnancy at age 50 yeah so i mean i'm bringing all this up because it's asking the audience to buy a lot of stuff the idea that picard has a secret son you know terry Mattel's talked about all this in uh, some other interview i think uh, if you listen to other podcasts, which uh, Inglorious Trexperts, they had an interview with him. They did it at a convention. And a lot of the stuff that's in this episode that we're about to talk about, we're going to dive right in 30 minutes in. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of the stuff uh, people have reminded him, which I wasn't consciously thinking of. A lot of this is happening in Star Trek, too. You know, Kirk has a son. They're fighting in a nebula, you know, an enemy who wants revenge. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That's all in there. But I, I got to be honest, I wasn't thinking about Kirk and I wasn't thinking about David Marcus when any of this season has happened until I heard that in that part of the interview, because it's different. It, it's just different. Yeah, it, it and, is. And I wasn't thinking of it, too, until I read your notes. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever people bring up what they do or do not like about it or what they like about this season or whenever the season is referred to as Star Trek next generation season eight, I want to tell people, but you know, I won't, that's an, that I'm annoying on this podcast. I try not to be in real life, but as Kristen knows, I fail most of the time, but in this case, I try to avoid it. This is not TNG season eight. This is Picard season three. And I think that's a real Mm -hmm. important difference. Like this show is supposed to be about Picard. So this is sort of, uh, what is the legacy he's passing on? And then we talked about this uh, in in the last episode that, you know, Terry Metalis or in episode one, you know, Terry Metalis grew up with Star Trek, a big fan. Then he got to work on it. And now he's he's doing it. I don't know. I kind of think he he's older than both of us by five or six years. But I still think there's a version where it's like if you were a younger person who grew up with Picard as a role model, let's say that you would do a, a, a son of Picard story and kind of insert yourself into that probably. So mm-hmm. it, it all kind of tracks for me in, in that way. Um, let's get into it. Let's do the grades. This is a, there's a lot in the grades yeah. for me anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so great scenes. Okay. I have a few here. Um, I did like Beverly crushers in sick bay or she's already recovered from the last episode, but the doctor on the Titan gets really pissed that Beverly's trying to help out in sick bay. And that is a totally normal reaction of like, dude, we things have changed since you uh, were on a ship. And this is my sick bay. I'm in charge here. Cause like if someone showed up to your work and was trying to do your job, you'd probably be pissed too. Of course, mm-hmm. later it turns out that this doctor went to like the nurse chapel school of medicine and doesn't really know what she's doing. <laughs> But totally normal workplace reaction. I also like the Beverly and Jean-Luc's, uh, you know, finally talking about, oh, so I have a son now. I did like that scene, though. Um, even oh, though it was it a great make a scene. whole lot of sense. But it's like, yeah, they're just really getting into it. That and was my like, first great scene. Everything. Yeah, th- so yeah. this is, I, say more on that. That that scene didn't make a lot of sense to you. What do you mean? The 
the mechanics of how she got pregnant like just that part like, like the <laughs> time stuck part. on that yeah. okay. no, no, that part didn't make sense but i was yeah. able to put that aside though and she's talking about like how she's lost so much and you know jean-luc picard has enemies and she doesn't didn't want to tell anyone but then him also being understandably very angry like thinking back to that discussion he had with Riker in the bar of like will you like I I know now that I wasn't going to be a bad dad like my dad but you robbed me of finding that out a lot earlier and I actually put that yeah. down as one of the, the best lines too yeah I mean th- this is a conversation that I think we've wanted to see a version some version of since the series since the movies when the movies you wouldn't even know that they had a relationship that they knew each no. other <laughs> basically in the four movies <laughs> Frakes directs it so well where they're both standing at opposite ends of the room essentially and then they move closer and closer and closer together as they're talking uh I feel like they both bring out great you know Gates McFadden's giving a great performance it's pushing Patrick Stewart to give a great performance she how do you write that scene there you have to we talked about this in episode 1 sort of the of its time trope of you have to contrive of a reason to explain why the story's happening the way that it is. And so this idea that the crew, like as the season goes on, we'll get this feeling of like, so what after the movies stopped, they just disbanded immediately. You know what I mean? There's very little sense of that. The story continued because it didn't. So they just didn't, they chose not to imagine that it did. Uh, We'll get little references here and there, but it's very unclear what happened. But at some point, Beverly Crusher just cut everyone off. Uh-huh. And there's no explanation for why. And so this episode had to do the work of kind of explaining that because they still don't get to that. And but also explaining why she would keep something so huge as this Beverly Crusher, it, you know, other characters, maybe there's better explanations or it makes more sense, but not with Beverly Crusher it just would make sense that she would do this. And I think the performance and the list of reasonings. It made sense. It, it, but not in a way like you agree with her a hundred percent, right? I don't think that was the point of the scene, and I think uh, Picard gives good points about what he was robbed by. Although to mm-hmm. me, at times the writing kind of dangerously felt like it was getting into men's rights areas. Uh, I don't <laughs> like it was maybe, I just a little bit. I, I did think she had a complete cheap shot with the whole. You said he didn't want to be a, a parent because of how bad your dad mm-hmm. was. But I really did think that her idea of like, I didn't know if I could protect your son and I've already lost so much. Uh, And then later we'll find out not in the scene, but in the later scene, at some point she did just tell Jack exactly who his father was. And if he wanted to go learn about him, he could. And he chose not to. Mm -hmm. How, how do you approach that scene? If you're a writer and you've put yourself in that situation, you are obviously hoping that these actors can pull it off, but you know, you get the direction you come up with some really good reasons. We do ad- imagine adventures. There's kind of like a, a worse Trek trope buried in, in what she's saying happens. So Picard gets taken hostage for nine days. Uh, Reman assassins intercept the Enterprise and kidnap Picard or her, like try to kill him. And then Starfleet has to ask him to negotiate with the Praetor and a, and a photon grenade goes goes off. So, you know, where's Worf and all this? No, bad security again. So it's Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> well, if I were again, though, if I were a pregnant fifty-year-old, I'd probably cut myself off from my friends and family too, out of embarrassment. But <laughs> they hooked up on shore leave on Casperia Prime uh, twenty years ago. Casperia Prime, did you know this, Kristen? It is the vacation no. capital of the Horvian cluster, and we uh-huh. know that because that's where Dax wanted to go on her honeymoon with Worf. Oh, Chase Nine. And uh, it's also where Dr. Bashir was abducted by Sloan from Section 31. So uh, it's not they didn't go to Risa to have a fun, sexy time. They went to like, you know, they went to like a good vacation spot. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's right. It's a different type of uh, holiday. And then right after the sickbay scene, I think the next great scene in the episode is Riker talking with Jack and Jack sort of pacing back and forth and Riker's observing him and he's marveling at the fact that two very good friends had this kid he knows all about their backstory their history and then because uh jack's so petulant or you know impatient 
they're kind of going back and forth, but Riker's being very fatherly to him. And then some crew mm. members come by and they're kind of staring at Jack, staring him down, being like, we're in this mess because of you. We're protecting you. And, and Riker's basically saying, you know, you got to show people why they should risk their lives for you. You know, you know, you have to, you can't just bury your head or, or be standoffish towards everybody. And I don't know. We talked about this in episode one. Frakes is really given it and he's great. There's a twinkle in his eye, that smile, and you can feel the emotion. You can feel the sadness just a little bit and the fascination. And I really liked it. Uh, it was a better Riker scene than a Jack scene. But I also think because mm-hmm. we do see a moment of humanity in Jack, he's like, you have a family Riker. You know what I mean? Like he actually shows that he cares. And Spilliers is really good at dialing his emotions up and down so you can see him soften. I just thought it was a good scene. Um, any other great scenes? Yeah. Um, I liked it when Captain Riker takes over the command of the Titan and Jean-Luc is number one. <laughs> I liked it. Raffi has been knocked unconscious from the fight in episode two and she reawakens uh-huh. on the La Serena and she hears, uh, well, first she hears a news report, which I don't know why we're getting 21st century news reports in the future, but whatever. She should have been woken up and it happens in the next scene. She goes out into the, the main area and there's opera playing and she, uh-huh. and Warp is revealed doing his exercises. Uh-huh. But uh, Kristen, <laughs> I, this is what I said. My wife was watching it with me. This was at 1145 at night. So she's tired and she's annoyed by me being a nerd. But I was like, when I said to her, I said, when we see Raffi, she better wake up to the sound of Klingon opera. <laughs> <laughs> and when we see her, it's the news. And I got so angry. I was like, oh, and then boom, we get the opera. And then I, I like just softened. And she turned to me. Are you happy now? <laughs> yes, I said, only yes for this one second. <laughs> I said that's exactly how it should be but uh, it was a great moment to have Worf back fully as Worf and Raffi the two of them together I think are really fantastic and it's right from the jump they're, they're uh, yeah and like her there. feeling clearly feeling some sense of redemption when he says you're gonna come with me like we're gonna figure this out because she had been used to just sort of being cast aside or telling or being told no a whole lot by everyone else like oh you're just the the junkie or you're you know whatever but now he's yeah. like you know you yeah we're gonna do this like we're partners you have the heart of a warrior and the yeah. instincts i mean if Worf told me that oh my god i would die <laughs> <laughs> I would never um, stop telling everyone. I'd put it like in my email <laughs> signature. <laughs> the addiction storyline, uh, I'm rooting for Raffi. I, I mm-hmm. think addiction storylines in in science fiction, science fantasy is a really, it's a tricky thing because you can v- go very ham-fisted or very stereotypical very easily. And we'll see how it goes the rest of the season. Well, yeah, just two um, episodes ago, I said that was one of my worst Trek tropes was Rafi the yeah. junkie. Yeah. Like, I'm rooting for her to not fall off the wagon. Yeah. So I have two more great scenes. So uh, no, go ahead. I, I stopped writing them down after a while. <laughs> I, the, the, I run out of room and I just stopped writing. The actual 17 seconds uh, when when Picard mm-hmm. hears when all the shenanigans are going on in the last act. Picard is told over the comms that that Jack is injured and he's going to sick bay, and uh, and Riker looks at Picard and's like go, and Picard gets in the turbo lift and the sound drops out, the music goes up, and Picard's just worried and we're on Picard and then he goes into sick bay, and Crusher's trying to save Jack's life and I think the music and the emotion and you know he's gonna live, you just you just know he's gonna live. It's not a big, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but they did prime us for yeah. that experience for that emotion, and you do need. You, you can't just talk all your characters into where you want them to go. So like we talk that Worf and Raffi scene, that's just talking in them into their partnership, right? There's nothing, mm-hmm. there's no actions really. But in this one, we, we are experiencing it with Picard, or at least we're watching him experience this and we're having, seeing him start to care because earlier in the episode, he said, you know, a- after, he had the blowout with Crusher and Riker's talking with Jack. Picard comes out into the hallway and he's like, Will, let's go. And he's like, don't you want to talk to your son? He's like, nah, 
he like literally waves his hand. Yeah, goes, that's yeah. over. It's it, it's it, it's irreparable that relationship. And so we get to this place at the end of the episode uh, where where it changes. And I think it was just really well done, really well put together. And then the yeah. last scene, I think, is a great scene. I actually think the last actual scene when Picard after Jack's OK, Picard goes back to the bridge and he's like saying Riker, stop being a wimp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fight the shrike and then the the whole sequence i think there's a little too much like annoying tech babble throughout to like signal that oh we're all professionals doing something but the thrust of it it's very exciting very well directed it looks great the shrike uses the portal weapon that they they stole that we saw in episode one uh they use it to uh, basically redirect the photon torpedoes from the titan right back at the titan disabling mm-hmm. them sending them spiraling into this gravity well slash nebula uh, and i thought it was a really effective uh cliffhanger so i thought those yeah. were a lot of good scenes a lot of great scenes yeah all right best trek tropes i can't believe i'm actually saying this but jack and seven dealing with the vertirium leak mm-hmm. uh, so the titan the titan a saboteur one of the changelings is on board we saw him in the first very first episode in fact um the he's the dweeb looking guy he sabotaged the ship so it's leaking and the Shrike can track them and it's Vertirium. So, but the Vertirium leak where Jack and Seven team up is a tech problem that they have to fix real quick at the end. It, it was reminiscent of virtually every episode of Voyager. Mm. <laughs> but then in the middle of that, the, the Changeling comes back and starts fighting Jack to stop yeah. him <laughs> from fixing it. And I'm like, oh, now we're at the end of, this is the end of an original series episode where Kirk is fighting the bad guy to save the ship. So I really like that. It was, I kind of begrudgingly am like, that's the, in this case it works because they actually combined two tropes from different shows. Now I got to say this, the instant they walked into that compartment where the Vertarium is leaking or whatever, then the cell control seven can smell the leaking Vertarium and says it's incredibly toxic, which seems like it should be something that atmospheric sensors would detect. And I understand the ship's being sabotaged, so maybe those don't work. Mm-hmm. But also, it seems like anyone walking by would smell. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like, "What's hmm. that smell?" Yeah. So, but that said, I still thought it was a great trek trope. The tech, the tech battle at the end. I put space bar again. We have another bar scene. Love the bar scenes. Although this one had that <laughs> unfortunate incident of you know Deanna Troy looking like a frazzled nag. And also I put in Picard's dad and general atonement with the father, which is just like a general, you know, dramatic trope. But here I think it works a lot and it comes, it's not just, oh, I had a really bad dad and da da da. It's not mentioned for like no good reason, but we are reminded of it. I have another one. Oh, good. The way that Worf says the word narcotic. <laughs> <laughs> He just says like <laughs> narcotic, like he's is that such a, trope? a freak. It's just like he is like such a narc in like that way of like. It's like kind of just reminds me of classic Worf. That's all. Like just how he is. That's all. <laughs> it's not a trope necessarily, but I, I got a kick out of it. I loved it. All right, worst Trek tropes. Duking it out in a nebula and the nebula creating all sorts um, of interference. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek We've two, obviously yeah, not, yeah. not just in Star Trek two, by the way, uh, let's look at, let's go through the Star Trek, the next generation movies generations. We have the Nexus. The enterprise doesn't go into the Nexus. So that that's clear. Star Trek first contact. They go back in time and they're clear. So they're fight, They're fighting the Borg. And then we go to Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, there's the Briar Patch. What's the Briar Patch? It's basically a nebula nebula that creates all this (laughs) weird. And there's a big space battle in there. And then what do we get? Nemesis. The whole last 30 minutes take place in a nebula fighting a ship. So this is supposed to be the last next generation movie, technically. Well, three of the five have had battles in in nebulas. Mm -hmm. And And also, we've recently just discussed the episode of Strange New Worlds where there's a nebula named Debra. <laughs> right. This one is not like Debra. <laughs> no, but it makes weird stuff happen as well. That's true. <laughs> Just not the same. 
It's not a child predator nebula in this case. <laughs> named Debra. And then I kind of already mentioned, you know, we kind of get it through that story of all the things that happen with Picard and the Romulans. You know, there's some yeah. there's some wharf wharf being beaten down to show to show uh, how strong the opposition is or very easily taking over the Enterprise, that kind of thing. So that uh, just a little unfortunate that Worf gets hurt in just a story between two characters. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, all I put down was, so did they fuck or what? And we've already talked about it. But yeah, that's my worst Trek trope of like, they should have just been fucking the whole time. Picard and Dr. Crusher. What what makes you think they weren't? Because I can't. Because he kept saying he wasn't, and because he said he didn't, and then like every we never saw it on screen, like not even close. Do you think he and Laris uh, that they? Um, I don't know. I think they probably did some uh, at least over the clothes hand stuff. He's ninety (laughs) six though. So maybe it's not on his mind. I I mean, I think it's unambiguous that they that they hooked up, especially since she mm. said that that was he was called back early. It was a final time they were going to be together or try this. I, I think you could easily imagine them doing it and then waking up the next morning doing it. How old am I? You can, <laughs> you can easily imagine them booning and then them waking up in the morning and she's resting in his arms or whatever. And they're both like staring into the middle distance with a beautiful alien sunrise. And, and she's like, it's over, isn't it? Or, you know what I mean? Like you can yeah. see that scene happening. So that's couched in that they, they, fucked. I, I really think, All right. I wonder if Picard was joking enough to be like, are you thinking about Ronan right now? Oh God! Oh my God! That would get him if it were me. That would get him thrown out of the bed for sure. Like, that's what he said here. goodbye. Yeah, that's it. That's why that's I kept your right son from you. Boy. You kept bringing up my my ghost lover. I told you he was a parasite. <laughs> yeah, who was better? You think Ronan? Ronan was probably better. Oh, Ronan! Ronan was like able yeah. to get into her very essence i think uh no question she quit her job that's right that's right over him and he wasn't even real yeah beverly crusher doesn't seem like a power fucker. you know or she would get <laughs> no. off on just just uh doing did i already tell you that story about uh shirley mclean no i don't think so well if you did i wasn't listening this is my first encounter with the the concept of power fuckers. And for those of you who don't okay. know what I'm talking about, that it's a pretty simple idea. People who are really turned on by the idea of having sex with powerful people. Mm-hmm. And one of the people I was told by uh, one of the coolest people I ever worked with on a set, she told me that she was working on a on a picture with Shirley MacLaine, and Shirley MacLaine was saying all the people she fucked. Oh wow! One of them was Henry Kissinger. Oh and god, like, no, what? Shirley. <laughs> And people were oh, like, what? She, goes, she said, I'm a power <laughs> No, 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 no. Surely. Ugh, did she say when? Was it before Cambodia? I don't, I don't. Is there <laughs> In my mental in, in image file of crimes? Henry Kissinger, I'm like, I don't. Has Henry Kissinger ever existed in a pre-war crimes time. I'm not sure. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> that kid might have been born doing a genocide. I don't know. He was he doesn't see it. He was the Secretary of State prior to he had to be he was appointed Secretary of State before doing the war crimes at some point in his life. <laughs> Oof, that is uh, that's tough. A, that's, oh my goodness. That's a good question for history when he dies 40 uh. years from now. For some God, reason. Oh my, yeah, this motherfucker <laughs> is never going to die. I had a dream that he died during my birthday party and we all toasted to it. It was a really fun time. And then I woke up and it didn't happen during my party at all or on my birthday. And I was very sad about it. But he was at your birthday party, which was really uncomfortable. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> no one invited him. 
And they let him in some somehow. He's allowed to go out in public, That's apparently. Right. That's right. He's allowed in polite society. <laughs> oh my god, Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> oh my goodness. The veracity Ugh. of that of that gossip, uh, for me, it's one of the. I had never questioned it. So if someone wants to come at me with this doesn't make sense, fine. But that, well, there's no reason for me to ever doubt that. And like, I think her daughter has this whole weird story about how she lost her virgin, her virginity and her mom like had set it all up and was like in the next room. It oh, was boy. very strange. It's a very strange story. Oh, weird. It is very weird. Yeah. <laughs> because she was like, oh, it's very important that it be just right for you. And I'm like, and that's just, and like that, I feel like that tracks with a woman who's had sex with Henry Kissinger. I don't know. Is that a trope? That's a trope in reality. I guess. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So that's, ugh. 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 I don't talk to my mom about stuff like that at all. So this is like, if she were in the next room, I would die. <laughs> like literally you think the life would just go out of my body. Was she reading a magazine? Was she do, like painting her nails? I don't. I Was don't she know. drinking? I'm, I'll look it up. I think she wrote an autobiography about the whole thing. Like, and it's in, well, not about solely about that, but about her life, and that's in it. Any um, worse, more trust? No, that's any it. more worse treasures. <laughs> Most of its time quality. All right, hear me out on this one. We have a female villain. Who's smoking on screen. And I feel like us seeing a character smoking is like smoking is passe enough that they can do that now again. No, I love it. I, like, I immediately, my like brain went the, to like vaping. a lot of younger people are a younger people are attracted to Star Trek. And so like if they, they would never have that, I think, or I don't remember a smoking character on like the next generation. Very rare very rare yeah. they've had it like certainly not in there like it's coming your big yeah. bad who's going to be on screen for a while like over the yeah like con no. wasn't like smoking a cigar right exactly no yeah i immediately associate it with vaping that mm -hmm. it was yeah. that's how There's modern they're going smoke. but it's clearly not but clearly it's not it's it, but it, yeah. it was yes no it's yeah, a good one you could I like hear that. something burning at the end and like it's an mm -hmm. actual cigarette or cigar or whatever on oh, an e-cigarette well, that would have been the move though but i think amanda palmer you know she probably doesn't actually smoke <laughs> e-cigs or anything, but that would have been the boom. Yeah. I also put that the opening credits are really short. That is a... Oh, the the cards. You, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like yeah, that. The opening title card is really short. Well, then I'm just going to yeah. dive right into it. Uh, doing a scene of de-aging actors. Well, yeah. Yeah. So we, we've we've yeah. danced around it, but the, the Picard and Riker flashback at the beginning of the episode... You're spending the money to de-age two actors. In certain lighting and certain shots, it looks fine. It looks okay. And yeah, in the rest, but if they got up and started walking around, that would have been a bad because I don't. This show did not have the budget for that. No. The whole point for me, though, while watching that scene, because you kind of get over it by the end of the scene, the de-aging. But I really do feel like the first. 20% of it you're stuck on oh they I can't believe they did this it looks weird their eyes are kind of this weird glassy quality to them uh the skin is kind of like weirdly smooth they got rid of some of the liver spots that kind of thing mm -hmm. by the end of the scene once you know what it's all about because especially I didn't like that then Deanna Troy pops up uh and just to kind of nag Riker and you know it's a weird scene because they clearly were playing the actors were playing to the pad on the bar. So it, it yeah. was supposed to maybe be played as just her talking her voice, mm -hmm. but then they must've thought like, it's weird to hear her and not see her. It's the future. Yeah. So why don't we put her in, especially since we're not going to see Troy for several more episodes because she is in the season. It was a weird choice on both those levels. And for me, you didn't need the Troy thing for sure. And then knowing how they use the whole bar sequence or scene to set up the 17 seconds, I kind of mm -hmm. don't think you needed to do it as a flashback. Oh, like, yeah, there's I nothing in right. the, there's nothing in that that struck me as being like we needed to seems do this. A little, I mean, it seems kind of like, oh, that's certainly coincidental that they had this. They just had this talk about it. <laughs> like 10 minutes before oh. he finds out he has his own kid. <laughs> that would seem weird. 
Well, it, you've got the other two episodes where he does mention his son or something. And I just think there is an opportunity to, you know, or just there's an opportunity for him to mention it in the in the present moment. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see exactly what you're saying, why they wouldn't do it in the present moment and make it silly. But do you see what I mean? Like, it seems like you're you're spending a lot of money to do this de-aging thing to avoid that silliness. Why not just go for that? Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like they planned for the flashback not to avoid the silliness of like, well, good thing Riker, like several hours earlier, pr- you know, primed Picard for this moment. Uh, when you've already got like a 35 year old playing a 20 year old, you know what I mean? Like, so you're, you're saying yeah. like, we got to do this flashback. that's going to be very expensive for this reason. <laughs> so, and also I just, again, the nag part I want to bring up is a dramatic thing. It's an actual like piece of drama that's existed, a character that's existed in literature and theater for many, many, yeah. many years. So I'm not the just shrew, I think is what the shrew. That's what it is. It's the shrew. I keep saying the <laughs> nag because I think that's how I learned it. But yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. And and that's how it's played. Yeah. Um, I also have um, a couple of, I, I believe I heard a couple of shits in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, shits from the, in the dialogue. Not yep. something we would have seen on the next generation. And when we did our Strange New World episodes, we talked ad nauseum about BuzzFeed style writing. That's not what's happening here. Not bringing that up. No. But simply a willingness to write the dialogue a little bit uh, loosey-goosier, a little less serious for what's going on. Very Marvel feeling. Well, it's more real of like, this is what what someone would probably say. Maybe, but just things like this. Riker says to Jack, you know, Jack tells him, you're looking at me like I'm some, the result of some sort of science experiment and Riker says sorry to tell you kid but you are I spent two decades two decades in a spaceship watching you get cooked up before you were born that was so weird that was just like the weirdest thing someone could say (laughs) it's just like folks stop acting like you're better than Star Trek Uh, the the sentiment you know first of all just like as a normal thing they don't say spaceship they say starship and do you need that phrase at all? No, but you want to puncture the the fake reality that you're playing in because you think that's separating the audience from the real emotion at the core here. And I don't think that's true. So it just seems like a pose more than it felt like it was distracting in a way that I think worked against it. But again, Jonathan Frakes is giving such great acting in that scene that it, mm-hmm. it's fine. Uh, but then you also have Raffi thrown out a also not so much. And then Worf saying, uh, as humans would say, I've been working on myself. Uh, mm-hmm. Worf saying, think of me as a subcontractor. Uh, Raffi responding to the Worf's thing, idea that we're going on a quest. She just says, cool. And then, you know, yeah. uh, Riker tells Sidney LaForge to keep us squirrely and hidden long enough to give the Titan time to get powered up to get out of the nebula. And then Raffi whinging about her work-life balance when she's trying to torture their uh their suspect that they capture uh the, all those little things are like so modern that they take me out of it and again i in episode one i was like you know i don't think they had a lot of time to write this but at the same time it also seems like these are the things you're trying to put in to style it up a little bit and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't that's all okay now it's time for the line must be drawn here great lines all right um so when Sydney LaForge goes to see Seven of Nine, who is confined to her quarters, she gives her this speech about my dad was the best Starfleet engineer, yada, yada, yada. And then Seven of Nine says to her, this sounds rehearsed. <laughs> I, it got a genuine laugh out of me. Like, I, yes, I love Seven of Nine and it does, it, it sounded very canned and rehearsed. <laughs> Which goes back to you saying that she's the Megan McCain of of the, of the show of like, well, yeah, I know what's coming. I know it's coming next. Blah, blah, blah. My father. Well, one of the shit lines that you mentioned, I put as a great line uh, after Shaw learns that the electrical impulses coming from the nebula uh, also have a biological signature to them. He goes, well, that's fun. Anyone else want to throw more weird shit at me? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I don't know if a captain 
I would be okay with the captain talking like that if he had sort of an informality with his crew, but they're also mm-hmm. really good at their jobs. It seems like Shaw and can also get Shaw is like fed up. He's yes done. This was not part of any mission or plan. This right, it's as mm-hmm. well like all this of this is, is a, being put ins- on some inspection caper, and, <laughs> and now he's bleeding out in sick bay. Yes, now they're cornered in space where there are no corners. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I also have from the scene of Jean-Luc and Beverly, he says, what could have been had I known and what might I have been um, when she, they're talking about her never telling him about having a kid. I, I have a lot of Crusher's lines from that scene. Two months before I left the Enterprise, do you remember our shore leave on Casperia Prime, the waterfalls? Do a perfect I? Day, uh, yeah, a perfect day on borrowed time. They called you back early. That's how it always was with us. There was always a clock. And then it would be what it always was. Attempts on your life. I like that line for some reason. They used it in the trailer. It was good. Um, and then her whole reasoning, her emotional reasoning, because I, I like the facts where she says, here are all the episodes that led to me not wanting to do this. And then here's the yeah. emotional reason why I just really couldn't bring myself to do it. She says, when Jack was on his way, I was terrified. All I knew was that if you're the son of Jean-Luc Picard, there's a target on your back. I lost my parents, then a husband, then my son Wesley, all to the same stars that own you. As a mother, your whole being is about protecting your child. I thought I could protect mine. I didn't know if I could protect yours. And he accepts that. He totally could feel that from her because Gates McFadden is f***ing crushing it. Yeah. Um, I also put down, and there's a part where Jack calls Riker, Riker, and he says, feel free to call me captain. <laughs> Just a little informal there. Um, what else? Have, oh, and uh, my favorite beheadings are on Wednesday. <laughs> Love beheadings are on Wednesday. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> As soon as she said Tuesday beheadings, I, I said to the TV, I said, well, no, beheadings are on Wednesdays. And they simply saved that for the end of the, the beat. Yeah. <laughs> it was a perfect setup, perfectly executed. Prior to that, though, Worf had another great line. I don't think it's better than beheadings on Wednesdays, but it's pretty close. And that is, I'm Worf, son of Moog, house of Martok, son of Sergei, mm-hmm. house of Rajenko, bane to the Duras family, slayer of Gowron. I've made some chamomile tea. Do you take sugar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just perfect. It was fantastic. Uh, seeing Worf makes me so happy. My heart goes yeah. two sizes. <laughs> the Anton Caridian War for best performance. This is really tough. Mm-hmm, I think so too. I was going to wait to see what you said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're ki- I'm kind of speaking as though we're taking each episode as they come, but I mean, we're recording this after several have already run. So I have a sense of, uh, that's kind of why I had my shop pick in episode one, just because I kind of know where certain things go. But I mean, like between Gates McFadden, Jonathan Frakes, Patrick Stewart, I really think there's a lot good there, but I got to go with Gates McFadden because I feel like she had this as hard a job as Patrick Stewart. And we just haven't seen her that long. You know, Patrick Stewart's had 20 something episodes of Picard to play all these different dimensions of him. And here we off, you know, she off the couch has to basically come out of, yes, she has to come out of retirement and convince fans 30 plus year fans of the next generation that she's not an asshole. And I think Mm -hmm. she, she, she crushed it because she's probably crusher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got to go with Gates McFadden, but I'm open to any other. Well, I know. I think I agree. I was thinking that earlier just because like, yeah, it's like almost indefensible position, but also she sold it and I believe it. Right. And, and again, I don't think, I don't think we're meant to agree with her totally, like totally be on her side. Right. I just think we're supposed to like understand enough to be like, okay. And given how yeah, intense she made it, this it's not implausible, is. you know? Right. I will say in Other the first the episode, we, year old son. Yes. Right. <laughs> in the first episode, we pointed out that she sent Picard a codec that he couldn't possibly, or a, a cipher that he couldn't possibly know about because he was locutus at the time. And yeah. here in this one, another weird writing logic bump here. 
Picard asks her, what do you think they want with Jack? Meaning the Shrike. And she goes, I don't think it has anything to do with Jack. I think it has something to do with you. And I was like, well, then why did you decide to put them together? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like she just spent all this time saying like, I can't put, he's going to have his target on his back because it's your son. And so I think these people are after him because of you. So why would they put two and two? Why would you put them together? I don't know. I mean, that's just the way the story has to go, I guess. But there is another version where like someone we know, like Chief O'Brien, she's asked him (laughs) and then he dies and gives Picard the mission. You know what I mean? Like there is a version where you could find a way where she's like, no, this is pretty important that I can trust you, but you shouldn't. This might be about you at the same time. But she was so good. And it was just it was a pleasure to see her. And she felt like Crusher. And, And I appreciate that. But man, Frakes is so good. Jonathan Frakes is so so Mm -hmm. especially since he thinks he's not a very good actor like what yes (laughs) and also he directed it too yes that's tough he directed the shit out of this yeah like it's hard to direct yourself from what i'm told but yeah he nailed it and patrick stewart did a great job even in the de-aging scene you know riker's like i hope you get this feeling someday and then he leaves and he has to take that moment and you see either regret or some sort of sorrow in him. And mm-hmm. he's acting through the the CGI makeup, the digitization. And then this one, he has to play angry, but also soften. Also, he's doing all the tactical stuff, right? He and Riker keep fighting over how to handle this, this deal in the nebula, which we didn't even really get into. But, you know, like seeing them uh, clash with each other after they've been working together. You know, there's kind of a harmony and then it becomes disharmonious. Uh, so there's like a professional conflict and a personal conflict, right? And we have, we're, we're seeing a side of Jean-Luc Picard we've never seen with characters in relationships we were familiar with. We're seeing a totally different dimension to them because uh, we've seen Picard arguing with people for two seasons of Picard. That's the whole point of the show. Everyone hates him. <laughs> they tell him to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And here are people who like him and now he's having conflicts with them too. So, so that leads us into the Shatner. I'm super interested to hear who you say. Okay, I have two, but one is more of an honorable mention, and just hear me out. I put the black hair dye on Riker in the de-aging scene. It looks like a Just for Men ad. Like, it's a little too much. <laughs> the black hair dye on his beard and everything. Yeah. It's it's going for it. Uh, I also put, like, the weird changeling saboteur that's on the Titan. Oh, I guess also the other changeling, the one that they're going to torture. One thing to know about this guy, just randomly, Kristen, this actor, he played one of Picard's children in the Nexus in Generations. Just by, I guess it's happenstance. I don't know. By chance. By chance. There's no connection there. But he also kind of looks like Aaron Paul, which Mm, is kind of like throwing my, yeah, my brain. Like an emo version. Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> like listens a little bit too much to the yeah. cure and depeche yeah like the my chemical romance version of Aaron. oh Paul. my god so, yes <laughs> yes exactly yeah 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 bingo so, <laughs> ed spleers oh okay oof okay i think he had to because i think he had to go for it you know he yeah he gets put in this position of well he has to be swashbuckling he has to have the idea you know, Shaw's like an engineer, right? Mm-hmm. But he also can't fathom how the Shrike keeps finding them. And then it's Jack who figures it out. And then he has to go to seven. I like how he, why he has to go to seven of nine. Cause the crew's not going to let him just roam around freely. So he can't like go to the bridge yeah. or talk to. So he, he finds seven of nine who's in her quarters under lock and key. And then they, they solve it together. That was fine. But sort of like all the way he's like trying to convince her and the punching and all that stuff. I think he just had to really go for it, but Yours are better from just like a straightforward, like the weird guy was weird. (laughs) Yeah. What part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? When the captain asks you to look for stuff out the window, can you like replicate some binoculars or something? (laughs) You look stupid. Just like staring out the window. Yeah. You're just staring out the window like a dum-dum. And it's like, don't you have binoculars for away teams and stuff like that? Can't you use some other scientific equipment? Hell, why does no one ever think to use the shuttlecraft, which have their own independent systems that you could yeah. use? You know what I mean? It's it, ah, that's that's. Although all. one of my that complaints was... is usually no one looks out the window, 
and they can't see anything coming. But this this one was fine. Yeah, I was fine with that with them looking out the window. No, right? me this too. Like... But usually my complaint is why isn't anybody looking out the <laughs> freaking window? Oh, oh, here they are! Wow. I put I'm um, you, binoculars. You can see farther. That's all. That's yes, all of course. Saying. Like on a real like like a boat, you get one of those spy yeah. glasses. Super nautical. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they aren't teaching the doctors how to detect internal bleeding without using machines. That's for sure. That was great. So I think one thing that they didn't miss, but they just probably didn't have time for, but would have been neat to see is if they were so overwhelmed, they were like with injuries or there was some issue with the equipment. Beverly and Jack have been doing what? They've been doing field medicine yeah. for years and like years, right? Stuff, so orders type stuff. Yeah. So this is stuff that they can identify on their own and, and help the process along faster. As Instead Dr. Of just saying Bashir it, would call it frontier medicine. Exactly. So I, I do like that idea though. Hopefully in other Star Treks, we'll see them taking that risk of, are, can you still be a doctor without a tricorder? Can you diagnose a patient without yeah. the use of your magic wand? Yeah, exactly. Cause we've so. seen in strange new worlds that no, <laughs> no. I can't do shit. <laughs> they can but... only stand on one side of the bed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how would the predecessor show or captain resolve this conflict? Um, maybe there would have been more fist fights. <laughs> I think with Captain Kirk. Well, I mean, if we are sticking with the original series as the predecessor to TNG. And Picard merely being an extension of TNG and like this being a movie uh, of TNG, then what's the movie original series equivalent? I mean, this is Star Trek 2, right? So that that's mm-hmm. how this would all be resolved. Yeah. So. <laughs> Spock dies. I think, yeah, exactly. I think Kirk would have been much more active and the, the whole thrust would have been Kirk saying, we got to we gotta take care of the strike. That should be the, the first priority mm-hmm. is stopping this this thing. All right. Trek, marry, or kill 17 seconds. I'm going to Trek it. Yeah, I Trek it as well. I Trek it as well. It's It got very close to a marry for me on, on the last rewatch, though. Very entertaining. Um, I think we have to give one of these a marry. Like, if it's a very hev- a heavily Worf episode, which was, I guess this one was, <laughs> but not as... I don't know. Because I, I, great unlike Worf. you, I actually haven't seen any of the other ones, so I don't know what's uh, coming. So the, you know, we got great wharf one-liners. He uh, gives a rock mm-hmm. bottom to uh, to the guy they capture. That was cool. He calls her Raffaella, which, oh, it just made me so happy for yeah, some Raffaella. reason. <laughs> He's so formal and it's great. He's so genuine. It's fantastic. Yes, love wharf. Yeah, but it is great. in your eye. <laughs> Uh, so definitely check it out. I mean, if you're watching season three, you kind of have to watch all these to get the full story. But yeah, look forward to episode three. It's fantastic. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with an all new episode. Episode four is called No Win Scenario. You can check all of our grades at trekmarykillpod.com. And until next week, TMK out. Bye. Bye.